0: Coming up next, The Booking Reads, a book that they enjoyed very much, The Magician's Nephew. Or did we? welcome to the booking. nothing but positivity this episode you have the nathan alberson guarantee and you know me i am mr positive mr sunshine they call me rainbow mcgillicuddy that's what I always call you. <laughs> Rainbow McGillicuddy? Yeah. Call me Rainbow McGillicuddy. It's the most positive thing <laughs> yeah. you can think of. Also, Brandon has dementia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> Who am I again? <laughs> no, no, no. Brandon. Who you're, are you guys? You're, well, let me tell you. You're Brandon Chastine, the yeah. scholar who's a baller of reading. We got, uh, might as well introduce him, Jacob Menzel, pastor who's a master of reading. Right there. Hey, Whoa. what's up? Wearing the green hoodie. Is that green? Is this a green situation? It looks like yes, Strider himself. Green. I was afraid because oftentimes in life, I will say, nice green pants. Actually, I've never said that in my life, but it <laughs> would be a very weird thing to say to almost anyone. You get greens and grays? <laughs> I, I, will, I will say, oh, that's a cool green. And someone will be like, it's a gray. Or I'll say, that's a nice green. And they'll say, it's a black. I see greens. Like, you remember Haley Joel Osment saw dead people? I see green greens. Things. I see green pants.
1: Yeah, I've heard you say that sort of thing before. Maybe even do that sort of you've thing.
0: You've been one of, Jake, you've been one of the black or it's gray so i was a little afraid because this is a very dark kind of one could be forgiven
1: all a dark olive kind of army green kind
2: of but it's green
0: color, yeah but it is green it's a beautiful it looks good on jake right brandon It looks wonderful on jake it's a good hoodie a it goodie. Is a good it's a goody hoodie it's a goody hoodie
2: uh,
1: amanda actually calls this my army hoodie i think because of the combination of color and
0: texture the combination of of color and texture. And because she fires a gun over your head as you crawl through the yard while wearing that hoodie. True or false?
1: True. All the time, yeah. And there you go. I mean, she fires a gun over my head regardless of whether or not I'm crawling. Yeah. If, crawling. If I crawl for safety. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you gotta you gotta keep husbands in line somehow. That's that's really the lesson of the magician's nephew. See, I'm getting us yeah. on track here. <laughs> All right, guys, let's talk about C.S. Lewis's magician's nephew. Let's do it. Just Actually, let me tell you our predictions. We said, Nathan said it would be his favorite. He said it was his favorite and that it would continue to be his favorite. Nathan did not just say it would be a favorite. He said it would be the best book of the bunch. Brandon said it used to be his second favorite and will continue to be. Guess what my first favorite was? Last battle. The horse and his boy. Yeah, that's true. Will continue to be the second favorite. Jake said... It was never a favorite. He wasn't taken by the slapstick or the creation story. What slapstick? All the stuff with Uncle Andrew. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what'd you guys think?
1: I had a lot more fun reading this, this go around than I feel like the last couple of books that we've done. So to me, it feels like a bright spot. I don't know how it actually measures up to the rest of the books. It's been some time, but what I definitely found is, by comparison to the horse and his boy, I was drawn in and carried along and moved forward. I ran out of time, and so at at the I had to rush through the end of it. So that too, I don't know. I think I'm the first act, maybe the first two acts, are what are really weighing in my mind when I say that. But uh, if
0: I may, those are the two acts that I really like personally. So Which two? The first two.
1: And I had forgotten a lot of little things that I thought were cool, like. Uh, the whole idea of the you know this connected row of flats that you could like sneak in behind and oh man wouldn't pass you kill for that when deans? you were a kid yeah, that
0: was so cool that would be really that that in and of itself is pretty magical having a
1: little treasure trove you know I I had my own little treasure trove in my room that was this little secret hidden thing that I found about it from about yeah from my house from fifth grade through high school and I don't know I probably connect I definitely was thinking about that when I was reading the the book so I was making that connection now I probably made that connection at some other point too but it wasn't anything I could get into right it was just there was a uh a, an air return that had a little tiny almost like a shelf inside of it it was weird mm-hmm. it was like somebody had built it in there on purpose for storing things before And so I don't know how I figured this out, but I figured it out that there's this little shelf in this air return in the floor, and I could tuck and stack things away, and you could not see it. It was in a corner, and it was on the inside, so there was no way of looking at it that you would ever be able to tell that anything was in it. You would have to literally lift up the grate, stick your hand into the return, and under the floor, and then you could find it. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kept all of my contraband you know music my the rap and stuff that I wasn't allowed to listen to and things like that. Right. The other the other thing that I I remembered as I was reading this was back when I was super little, I think before my parents were divorced. I was like 4 or 5 years old. My parents were house hunting and one of the houses we visited had these two bedrooms and I crawled back into the closet in the room that would have been my room and there was this little tiny open Cut out area back in the back of the closet that connected to the closet on the other side that I found and I could fit through it. And it was going to connect to what would have been my little brother's room. And that was so cool and fun. I wanted that house <laughs> so bad just for that. You know, I imagined and dreamed all the fun, cool things I could do. Uh, everything from, you know, sneaking into my brother's room to play or to play pranks on him or to whatever I wanted to do. Or just the fact that we could play in the closet because it was like, it wasn't a walk-in closet, but it was a big, If I don't know how big the closet actually was. I was little, but it felt like a huge closet and it was suddenly going to be like this tunnel system, you know, underneath the clothes and everything that you could, and, and it, it made such an impression on me that it, it stuck around. I never forgot it. And like, let, that's why I said, you know, I was like four or five years old when it right. happened.
0: Like 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: He was a young kid. Yeah. Jake is 19. People should know that. Pretty precocious. Very precocious. Brandon are always like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember as a kid loving secret little hidden things like that and nothing ever lived up to my imagination because I read a bunch of books like this and I was always intrigued by the idea of, you know, like a hidden attic with secrets in it or discovering treasure in some compartment in my house or you know busting through a wall and finding a, you know, a, a body buried in the wall or, you know, all kinds of cool stuff like happens in stories. But I remember a series of childhood disappointments where I would, you know, we moved into a house that had a crawl space and I was excited that crawl space was going to be my little kingdom where I could hide out and have contraband and all this stuff. And then it was just like this musty worm ridden crawl space. And it wasn't cool at all. Brandon, was it not? Didn't live up to books.
1: My brother has this house, this old house, and it's got one of those little basements that's more like a cellar. It's hard to describe. It feels very wild, right? You know, some of the it's got like crawl space area, but it's exposed in the basement, and there's dirt, and there's these brick walls and stuff, and it's like out of a horror movie, kind of.
0: Like in the movie, out of the kid part, would be, like, go of, take the trash down there, Junior. And then he has to go. Like Home Alone. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that scary. kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my grand, my grandfather. You'd never he... take the trash
1: down there, but you'd go down there to like check on something. Right. You'd go check know. on
0: the burner, whatever
2: one does. Yeah. Whatever one does in a cellar. Right. Hide a body. <laughs> hide a body. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's the place that you would hide a body. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: My grandfather, he had a... Um, I don't even know what it was. It was like, so you would open up this, these two doors in his study, there was a bookcase in front of it. It was built into the wall. And then behind the bookcase, there was like these shelves for blankets, but it went all the way up to the ceiling of the, of the room behind this secret compartment. Mm -hmm. So it was like this huge shaft Mm -hmm. with shelves all the way up it. And it was really, it was a weird place as a child, because you always imagined if you could climb up the shelves. Because then there were places where the attic would start up above that, like little tunnels. It looked like a tunnel. We never were brave enough to climb the shelves, but you always imagined what would happen if you climbed up the shelves and then went into these tunnels. And it was, yeah, it's like, and then at my parents' house, they had all these vines and stuff growing behind the house. And so we would cut little tunnels and stuff. And there was this one place where all the vines kind of went up like the canopy of a tent. Mm -hmm. And that was one of our secret hideouts. I
1: have a recurring dream that I probably talked about on the bookending before of this house yeah, I've not had this dream for a really long time, but it's like this, I don't know where we've talked about it. We've talked about it on mic somewhere before because something else was reminding me of it. Mm-hmm. I connected to the Goonies, I connected to a couple of other things in my mind. Always you're in this like haunted house kind of situation and you go up into this attic and you find this like little secret place and then suddenly you're in this like other world within the house, but it feels like they're like these slides and this cave system thing. But it's just a dream. It's not real. It's not real. I don't know why I said that.
0: That's too bad. What is it about that stuff? I mean, C.S. Lewis taps into something. Just, I mean, I, I'm sure that we're not the only kids who are just like, oh, that sounds really cool. That little tunnel system under the, like, apart from anything magical or interesting, just <laughs> the fact that you could come up in a different house is a really neat conceit as a kid. Why? What do what kids tap what does that tap into exactly
2: the same thing that narnia taps into this desire to get into places you don't know this mystery the magic you get into the
1: wardrobe you get somewhere else yeah it's like i mean you see that in tom sawyer in the cave
0: yeah tom sawyer and yeah tom sawyer is but particularly more than hug finn is the prototypical if we just sneak out and we go into a secret place we'll find high adventure kind of yeah but Mark Twain's actually smart enough to give you a little bit of my childhood experience, which is Tom's going to come up with a whole bunch of awesome sounding adventures, and then it's just boring. They're just going to be boring Stupid. crap. And everybody's
1: and... sitting around saying, "I'm a pirate." I'm a. I want to go home.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Huck's just like, "What on earth?" <laughs> which is sadly what it's more. You don't usually run into Injun Joe or
2: anything all that interesting as a kid. So there's a point where he says about Diggory that. Diggory has his curiosity where he wants to explore. And that's supposed to be some a, a character trait of Diggory's, too, because that's what's going to make him into the great Professor Kirk. Right. And also get into trouble in this book. Yeah, but also I think it's just something that boys do. They love to go into these adventures and explore. And that's what these books tap into. And this one in particular, you have, from the very beginning, what Lewis is really good at is taking these settings, these little scenes, and turning them into a world for you. And so the tunnel behind the house that com- connects all these houses. I would have never thought of that before. Right. And yet he takes it and he makes it into this wonderful introduction to uh, this story. So. Well, that's such a good
0: idea that it's it's almost one of those things where I'm disappointed that the story wasn't about that. I want, I want to hear the story about the exciting tunnel under the houses and what was buried down there and what happened and all the adventures. And I want to have them go up into the house, the empty house and there's a murderer there or smugglers or some Hardy Boys crap that they have to figure out. Like, this is actually a really fun children's story in and of itself. And we're just, this is just the little discarded thing at the beginning that Lewis has so many other good ideas that he but wants to get to.
2: He can just afford to throw it away. That's because that's the shadow of the platonic ideal of the wood between the worlds. Brennan, positive yep. energy. Positive energy.
0: Positive energy. That's positive episode. energy. People want the positive energy.
1: Yeah. He's right, though.
0: You are right, though. (laughs) It's actually... actually (laughs) I'm sure that's what Lewis intended, and it's not... Oh, it is, is yeah. yeah. There's no question. There's Platonism all over this story. That's what he intended.
1: He thought it was pretty clever to have
0: this idea of the world between
1: worlds, and he needed a way to get the kids up into the attic, and it was this really clever device that he had. And they get into the wood between the worlds by going through the world between the houses. And he gives
2: mm-hmm. them a convenient metaphor to understand what's happening. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Which is, which is fine. I which mean, which is pretty smart for yeah. it, it's really smart for a kids book where you where you're trying to get this concept of a world between other worlds that acts as a gateway to all these other worlds. He sets up the whole concept with a simple metaphor that anybody who Presumably, would have lived in a row of flats. Could understand or imagine that sort of thing. Yeah, well, and even as a kid that never lived in a row of flats, you get it. It wasn't that hard. You can get it.
0: Well, and it's it helps set up his central conceit, which is probably more necessary when he's writing the book than it is. You know, these days kids grow up with Saturday morning cartoons that have multiverses and sci-fi. You know, sci-fi is not the province of a couple nerds like it was back in C.S. Lewis's day. Yeah. Now, everybody's familiar with the idea of different dimensions and portals through time and space. Like, we all see that stuff parodied and mocked and gurgitated and regurgitated. But I know gurgitated isn't a word, in case anybody was worried. Uh, I was worried. Were uh, really you worried, Brandon? Yeah. But I think C.S. Lewis
1: actually has to do Somebody's a little. He's going to write a review. He said gurgitated like it was a real word. <laughs> what a
2: fool. <laughs> moron. I prayerfully ask that you well, I ask that you guys all prayerfully consider your vocabulary. <laughs> One story or oh, your lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: yeah. So he's he's actually putting in some legwork that probably isn't necessary for kids that all grew up watching Avengers movies. Yeah. But
2: it's nice. But stuff. they weren't, be- yeah, no Avengers movies back then. No Avengers movies back then. And so they had to have a way of understanding it. And so it's better than the ant crawling. On the string. The string, yeah. The
0: ant crawling on the string. What the
2: Oh hell?
1: man, that was a wrinkle in
0: time. Oh, oh that's buddy. wrinkle in time. Yeah, we just moved the tetherrack together. Yeah.
2: At least he didn't have to have somebody stop and explain it to us. Instead, what happens is he gives you the metaphor and then Diggory puts the pieces together once you are in the wood between the world.
0: Well, you know, that's an interesting thing that we haven't ever said before about C.S. Lewis. He's wonderful with exposition, isn't he? I mean, mm-hmm. he's really smooth. It just goes down, it feels nutritious and delicious, and you just never even know that you've gotten exposition. That's right. The f- characters figure out where they're at and what's it, what it's like really quickly, and he and it, just lays it in smoothly.
2: And it's fun noticing that. So I just finished teaching uh, To Kill a Mockingbird to some students. Mm-hmm. There's the scene where the sheriff comes and he's the one who convinces Atticus to do something major. We, I guess, no spoilers, but it's the end of the novel. Right. <laughs> and I, we stopped and the students were a little confused, and, but we figured out what was going on. And I'm like, isn't that wonderful that instead of just telling you everything, like having the sheriff stop and just give you all this background that he never would have said to Atticus. Instead, she just forces you to put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a good, it's a sign of a good storyteller. Absolutely. And, and Lewis does the same thing. He doesn't just tell you everything. He makes you put the pieces together. And he gives he he lets the kids kind of
0: naturalistically and organically figure it out. He puts us yes. in their heads yeah. and, and lets us figure it out
2: with them.
1: He gives us space to figure it out ahead of them if we can.
2: And then finally, somebody will say it, but they're kids. And so it's they're, they have the freedom to say the obvious things. Right. Well,
0: and, they have to. And it yeah, feels like, yeah. but it always feels like what somebody would say. It never has that sort of feeling of the character is just going to stop and exposit like Brandon. Yeah. S- Aslan
2: doesn't show up and say, children, you are the right, right between the worlds. Yeah. These pools represent worlds. That's actually. Other than your own.
0: That is something I know we probably offended some people by talking so much about Harry Potter in our last episode. That is something that Lewis probably does a little bit better. Then Rawling, when she has to explain something, the story can sometimes just grind to a halt while somebody... Goes to Dumbledore's n- office. Somebody
2: done explained it. Somebody go to Dumbledore's office so he can lie to me and then somehow also explain it to me. She's also actually pretty good at that too. But you, you sort of
0: feel the gears turning a little bit with her. Like, oh, here's the exposition scene. They're going to talk about the map or the thing or the component now that we need to understand. Professor so-and-so is going to explain it. C.S. Lewis, you never, really, you never really think about it. You just, you don't catch it that happening.
1: Well, I don't know, I want to defend rolling, What she often actually does, is she fits in a little bit of exposition that feels natural in its place, but was serving a different purpose. Yes, she's, the, good in in she's good so at so misdirection, she's good at red yeah. So it's like somebody will be explaining a thing that actually feels pretty natural for them to explain, that doesn't seem connected to the main plot right? necessarily, but there's this like circumstance where it's being explained. And then suddenly, you know, later on you'll realize, Oh, that whole explanation was in there. Not because it was, we were looking into this weird, this scenario, but because it had some key information for us that was going to help put pieces together down the road, which is, I think a really smart
0: way of storytelling. Yeah, I think so too. And in both cases, you're interested in the exposition because it's interesting. Like you actually want to uh, right. you actually want to hear about these worlds and learn about them. And so if somebody does, does just stop to explain, you're like, oh, well, I'd like to hear it. I, I would want this explained too. So but the other thing is that
1: she has the advantage of having a Harry Potter character who needs everything explained to him. Well, initially. I think Except that's, that's what Mark feels Vantage a little point. clunky
0: about maybe one of the things about the, the horse Earlier and his Books. boy that doesn't work quite as well oh, is that. Right you don't have that character. And I like one of the things that was refreshing about getting back to the magician's nephew or getting into the magician's nephew is that we suddenly had two characters who were out of their element with us as readers. And so it
2: just felt a little bit more natural to have them be the ones that were. That's interesting. Yeah. We didn't have an audience or a reader surrogate and the horse and his boy. No, we really didn't. And I think that's
0: one of the, if people like that book, it's fine, but it's for me, it's one of the weaknesses at least, whether it's It's a It's a weakness. Brandon's just going to say, it's a
2: objective it a weakness. weakness. I think that of all the books we've read so far, it really, it used to be, I, I liked it as a boy, but it didn't do it for me this time. And I think it's because in comparison to the others, I think not having that surrogate is, is definitely a weakness. That's one of the big things for me. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. You guys want to say
0: anything more about The Horse and His Boy? It's, it's been a week now since we talked about it. People, I stand
1: by what we said. Part of the problem, The Horse and His Boy, I think, is just the reality that the instant you turn Jesus into a lion, you tame the lion. Right. And so the whole thing about Aslan is he's not a tame lion, but actually he is. He's a tame version of Jesus. He's C.S. Lewis's personal version of Jesus that we all know and love. And we know that he's actually safe. Right. There actually is no danger. When you start to put your own words into his mouth, your own actions into his actions, you start to try to lift the veil. Like that's what, that's the whole problem with making the unseen hand of providence visible. In the form of a lion, and the horse, and his boy, and a lot of fiction, it's unseen but felt. Mm-hmm. Fact is, we don't know what God's doing. He—it's not safe. That's where dramatic tension comes right. from, right? That's the heart of dramatic tension in a plot-based novel. Is we don't see the uh, the unseen hand of providence, but we do feel it, and we have hope. What Lewis does is he sh- he actually puts it there, removes a whole lot of the dramatic tension because. There he is, and we, well, know, we know who that is.
2: Right. And it's actually not the way that Aslan works in these other stories either. Right. Why I'm fine with Aslan in this story, he actually bothers me the least in The Magician's Nephew. Of any of the books, he'd say? I think so. is because he's completely isolated. He's just doing his thing. He's creating Narnia. And sure, it's a pretty explicit Jesus reference. I'm sure. But he's not directing anything. He's not trying to give any sort of otherworldly wisdom to anybody. He All he's doing is establishing Narnia here.
1: Yeah, he, And he's, his moments with Diggory are really just like, is that really the whole truth? Yeah. All, the he, best all, he, all he has to do is sort of be like, is that so? To shame Diggory into uh, actually is a little bit more. Actually is a little bit more. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'd say there's one choice that Lewis makes and we can argue about whether it's a good choice, but it is a choice and it's to have Aslan tear up with Diggory. About I, the mom. That's a point right? that Lewis wants to make about God and I don't know how I feel about it. Maybe it's fine. Alright, but we haven't gotten to Aslan yet. We're still with Polly and Diggory. What do you think you guys think about this Polly and Diggory? Why don't they get married? Yeah, that's lame. Why don't they get married? I don't know. Probably because he grabbed her hand that one time and she never got over it. You know, a her breast, yeah. Yeah. they never had.
1: they never liked they didn't like to fight as much. Yeah. They apologized for the one fight they had and they decided they would never fight again, so therefore they decided not to get married.
0: Yeah, Polly. Can we agree? Not one of Lewis's better girls. Pretty boring. This is positive energy, but I'm just saying she's fine. She's she's workmanlike, but nothing really interesting compared to a Lucy or even a Jill. I mean, Jill's
1: gonna push him off a cliff.
0: Off a cliff. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Jill's going to be crying behind the shed. Jill's realistically and interestingly bratty. Uh, Lucy is interestingly and realistically sweet. Polly's just kind of there she's the girl she's she's
1: there to be a motivate she she's a plot she's a she's a Uh, she's a foil right like she's Mm -hmm. she's there to give cause to show diggory's valor and to give him motivation to do the right thing right she's the girl who waves who gives her handkerchief to the knight.
0: right in a sense but there's not those specific details that make her a human. There is one actually that I thought was pretty cute, which is where she goes home after a great adventure and gets sent to bed without supper, and because that's how parents are. I thought that
2: was pretty funny. But that's more for her parents than
0: her. Yeah, but at least it's it makes her m- less of a symbol, like Jake's saying, less of a plot element, and more of oh, this is a little girl planted in the reality as we understand the way that we know that Bigree
1: is good. Right. Is because he's gonna do the thing and go after Polly the way that Shasta jumped in front of the lion. Diggory's on the edge and he's gonna be tempted by Jadis until Jadis says leave Polly behind. Right. And even though he knows that he can't leave Polly behind because she has her own way out, that's the clarifying moment for him. Yeah, her.
2: that's a great but, scene. Yeah,
0: that is a great scene. But Polly, a little bit of a zero, because I think Lewis is great at writing little girls. I like Lucy, I like Jill. I like Arvis even. I mean, she's not Susan, a pleasant character. Susan is
1: an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. Susan is no, an no, interesting. I think you're character.
2: right. I think Polly is a flatter character than these other ones. She's, I'm not really criticizing her. She's fine. I'm just saying, you know, she's Ringo
0: to the others. She's still a Beatle, but she's Ringo. You know, she's not one of the stronger,
2: more colorful, yeah. female characters.
0: And, and there's just not a lot there for little girls even to be like, oh, that was interesting, or how would I respond to this? She's just, just kind of. Um, she's
2: just. I different. don't know if that makes her less realistic.
0: No, a lot but of yeah. little girls are. Well, a lot of I'm it's think... just perspective,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, yeah, we're really concerned with Diggory's perspective here. This is Diggory's
0: story, which is fine yeah.
1: in a way that you know Silverchair is useless in Joel's story, right? It's their story.
2: Yep. Agreed. I'm just thinking like of students I've had. Mm-hmm. There are girls who I imagine are have full mental, emotional lives, but they just don't stand out as with characteristics like others might, right? You know.
0: Which is fine. It's just not the story that Lewis was. I just thought it was worth noting. I don't know. What do you guys? Yeah. How do you? How do you think? How do you guys think Diggory ranks as far as uh, boy hero characters? I, I he's pretty good. He's got some pluck. He got yeah. some pluck. Yeah.
1: It does set Polly apart. Polly. She loves to. She doesn't like to show fear. She doesn't like to. You know, to be the wuss. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's always the whole "I'm game if you are" kind right. of thing that allows them to keep pushing forward together. Right.
2: I mean, so Lewis is trying to make this into a, cur- a kid who's driven by his curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's like his defining principle because he wants him to then become Professor Kirk. Right. Like uh, trying to do Captain Kirk's origin story. Mm-hmm. You have to take all the qualities that you know will become Captain Kirk's defining principles. And see them in miniature. And see them in the young person. Right. And so here mm-hmm. is the curiosity. And so... He doesn't want to go back to our world. Instead, he wants to go to the next world and explore Mm -hmm. because what other opportunity? When are you going to get this opportunity again? Yeah. He rings the bell because...
1: He wants to know.
2: Yeah, he wants to know. He has to know. Well, I will say
0: uh, of all the Lewis characters that make mistakes or, or sins or whatever you want to call them, Diggory's set of mistakes or sins are some of the most relatable to me. In fact, they're so relatable that I hardly see the lesson. Like... Yeah, of course you'd ring the bell. Who wouldn't ring the bell? And and why would you assume that that would necessarily be a bad thing to ring the bell? And, of course, the witch followed him into Narnia. Like, that wasn't his fault. He mm-hmm. was doing his best. Like, why does Azlan have to make such a big deal out of it? And where did the riddle and the bell come from in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think we're supposed to ask that. It's magic, man. It's magic, man. It's a magic man. Yeah, yeah I like Diggory. He's curious. Didn't, didn't Jada set
1: that up herself?
0: Somehow. Probably. It's not explicitly... I think she it's says, like, implicit. you've fallen into my magical clutches or something. Yeah, you're just she wondering. She
1: said that, you know, After I she think says she actually word. literally says, I set a spell that, Yes. you know, when somebody came and woke me up.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you just wonder why. Because but- she was
1: all alone. Who's she going to rule? That's true. Where is she going to go? How is she going to get out? Jake has
2: figured it out and defended she's it. She's just like a, any other, She's she's like a
0: a lizard creature that goes into hibernation yeah, waiting for the get right time to come back alive and spread her evil but we'll get to her in a second our next up next on the list of characters we have to talk about uncle andrew what do you guys think about this the uncle old andrew mop head himself old mop head himself
1: ours is a high and lonely destiny <laughs>
0: yes he is definitely uh as I said before, I Lewis doesn't that. doesn't mince uh, opinions about his characters. You can tell who he likes. You can tell who yes. he doesn't like. You can tell what kinds of things he likes and admires and what kind of things he despises.
2: Ever since I saw a picture of Andy Warhol, yeah. I have imagined him cool. as Uncle Andrew. That's good. He has got that mop of yeah. blonde
0: hair in his case. I'm going to peg to Uncle Andrew for a blonde.
2: And full of himself. Mm-hmm. And a pretender.
0: Yeah. Reminded me a lot of... Character, the bad guys from Hideous Strength, kind of that set. Yeah,
2: someone who's a charlatan doesn't really know what they've stumbled into.
1: But completely full of themselves and alternately cowardly and lazy. and
2: Doesn't know what to do with but, this knowledge. They, they have a lot of knowledge that they don't know what to do with and that they don't have the smarts to do anything wise or discerning with.
1: He's a good foil for it, both the cabbie and diggory, right? That's the point. Cabby is a simple countryman mm-hmm. and therefore he's because he's a simple, honest, hardworking man <coughs> who can take responsibility for people around him. He's fit to rule
2: Narnia and So who who he's making fun of with Uncle Andrew is the man who has knowledge that he doesn't know what to do with, right? Mm-hmm. And he's um someone who's full of himself for knowing things that to everybody else
1: well, no, it's for knowing things that are beyond him, right? Yeah. So there's like yeah. this kind of person who doesn't have the wisdom to do anything with his education, but is highly, highly educated. And so he sits around spinning his opinions out on the internet, right? Or in his stupid little books for the whole world. And he's like caught up in his secret knowledge and his secret insights, but he doesn't have the wisdom to to, to actually apply any of his education, to anything actually helpful or practical in real life. So that's it. That's all he's good for is sitting on the internet or sitting at home alone and writing stupid esoteric books about his deep and in, in, in cosmic insights into
0: whatever his hobby horses are. Right. <laughs> it's guys on Christian message boards arguing about the fine points of extremely esoteric theological ideas. Yeah. When they could be like out helping somebody in their church move.
1: Yeah. It's, it's guys, it's guys that are like,
0: you know, they've got a little bit of
1: post millennialism and a little bit of theonomy. And so they're Mm -hmm. like trying to construct what the, what the laws will be like in the new order when the millennial king, excuse me, when the millennial kingdom finally comes in and it's what, how should we enact, you know, all this biblical law?
0: I was thinking about the theonomy guys. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah, yeah. but
1: I'm going to say it. And it's like, we live in a
0: world now with laws (laughs) and things.
1: (laughs) How about instead of thinking about that, we think about how to be a faithful Christian here and now.
0: There are some really clear principles, live peacefully, obey the authorities, stuff like that, that you could yeah, be Yeah, you can apply
1: this, but you can apply this in every, oh, sure. every arena, right? So it's theology, but you know, in the world of literature, the same sorts of things where you've got people like all of the, the feminists trying to figure out what was really going on in Jane Austen. Well, all or, the people or, who are like, the lewis industrial complex right yeah. Like
0: all these people these are the people that lewis makes fun of like oh lewis would have no patience for the lewis industrial <laughs> complex that's the great yeah. irony of all of this I, I i really think as much as some people have been offended by some of the things we've said c.s lewis would be right on in a lot of the things we've said about him he'd be like oh yeah that was that yeah was he would be shocked yeah. by oh no yeah i'm not glad that people take my stuff that way uh, In literature, maybe a little closer to home, it's the young guy that's read a little bit of Plato and read a little bit of Dostoevsky, and so he suddenly thinks he's dangerous. Right. It's like, have you lived any life, (laughs) dude? Yeah. Like, have you met a woman, or have you just read Sons and Lovers? Have you, you know... I I don't know. Words fail me. You know, it's like
2: the 19-year-old who... Lewis had their number. We read that at the end of Surprise by Joy, which I thought was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then also... He was friends with Tolkien. Yeah, and Tolkien hated *The Chronicles of Narnia*. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, C.S. Lewis is not going. I don't think he would be offended by us being bored with *Horse and His Boy*. Right.
0: It'd It'd be, probably, it,
1: it, it, we'd have an interesting conversation about it. Maybe. Yeah, he oh, would. I'd love to. Uh, but but I, I think he'd
2: be and, engaged
1: and, and in, unless it interesting. he thought it was silly that we invested as much time. That <laughs> yeah, would, yeah they're, yes, they're that's possibility. Possibility about it. Like that's more likely. Yeah. Right. It's more likely that he would think it was silly that we spend as much time talking about it as we have. No, he might say,
0: why didn't you guys do George McDonald or something like that? And "Eh, we'd rather do you, dude. But yeah, yeah, I I, I really think you're right.
1: Well, and that's what, you know, it's okay. So how are you going to to mock this sort of person? Well, you take an eccentric old man and you paint him as an eccentric old idiot Mm -hmm. and give him something that's well beyond him that he can't understand. But Give him just enough information yeah. that he thinks he's
2: special. He's convinced, and above that he's, above
1: yeah. all of the normal conventional laws of morality. Right, right. So, well, a little you. bit of fairy dust, a little bit of sand from a, a, another world, and now we're above everybody and everything. Yeah. We can yeah. do what we want. We can kill children.
0: Well, and yeah, Lewis has such a good line in villains who are banal and who are buffoonish. Yeah. There's so many fantasy writers and writers of all stripes that want to invest. The only thing they really understand in terms of power is evil power. And the only thing that they can imagine is, you know, they're in touch with their dark side. And so they write things about how cool and powerful evil people are. But C.S. Lewis his villains always end up looking like idiots. Even the White Witch, even Janus Super in this story. It, yeah. It's just like, oh, they're dumb. The things that they believe are silly. They do not correspond with reality. The, yeah. the, the, they're... Well,
1: that's one of, the, one of the most powerful images to me of that sort of thing, just in general, is actually from Paralandra, mm-hmm. where you have this like devil character who's inhabited the body of West and this demonic persona, who's just going to come around to, did you actually read that book?
0: I've never read Paralandra, I will admit. But uh, this I,
1: is, it's really awesome. And Ransom is is there and he, his job is to protect the Adam and Eve of this new planet from this devil character. Right. And all he does is like sit outside and say his name over and over again. Ransom, Ransom, Ransom. This is the bad guy. The yeah. bad guy, yeah. super petty. Yeah. Right. And then, And then he goes and he like, Finds these little frog-like creatures (laughs) and he digs his fingernails into them and slits them open and kills them.
0: Just out of meanness.
1: Just out of meanness. He like does all these petty little, little things that are just small and mean and pedestrian and like the little, like the kid in in your neighborhood growing up that threw the rocks at the swans or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All of Lucy's villains. There's the part where Aslan roars and the white witch in, in, in wardrobe, she just like runs out
2: like clutching yeah. her, her dress. Her, t- her skirt, her, her skirts. Well, here it's when she throws the lamppost and then it does nothing to him. So, so she, she runs, runs away. She runs away. Well, and it's also when she's in our world and she's
0: like, acting like she's something and everybody's just like what why (laughs) who is this crazy (laughs) you know what (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she's an idiot right and and Lewis understand you know I mean I think so many in in like our modern tv serial killer dramas there's always this aura of coolness and of mystery to evil and Lewis has is, is able both to portray the fact that it does kind of feel like that when you run into evil and it's got its game on like it feels kind of cool and mysterious and interesting and intriguing but actually it's buffoonish you know the great evil people that we could mention your hitlers your Char- charles mansons your your people like this they're they're actually buffoons you know hitler thought that he was going to take germany and he was just going to conquer the world and he thought that that was a good
2: idea and yeah but take hitler out of his world and drop him into like small-town america
0: right and he becomes a fool they actually did that. There's this movie that's coming out called uh, Jojo Rabbit or something yeah, like that, that, where pretty... Hitler mm-hmm. is, is this little Nazi boy's imaginary friend, and it's it's that conceit is. Yeah, doesn't this become buffoonish if we put it in a different context? So that's getting ahead of ourselves, maybe, but yeah, that's Uncle Andrew, and he's completely made us a, a slapstick fool of by. The, he gets
2: planted yeah he, he actually gets <laughs> planted
0: i will say the scene and where
1: they throw the honey at him yeah and the, yeah the squirrels are throwing acorns and
2: yeah he doesn't get the dignity
0: falls of it. into the nettles yeah. and my thing about that chunk is that i was just thinking how delightful that must have been for me as a kid i must have just thought how funny i must have just laughed and laughed and i
1: like, actually thought the same thing
0: well and i, also I kind thought, of thought like i wish it was now because i kind of want the story to keep yeah. going but
1: there are some other nice moments with Aslan sort of just commenting on Uncle Andrew like oh sons of Adam how clever you are at uh
0: making your own demise or yeah. it's
1: something is stuff along those lines that I've I'll find one or two of them here real quick. Oh Adam's sons how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good.
0: That's a nice line.
1: That's a that's a great line. Mm. And then and then he says I'll give him the only gift he's able He's still able to receive mm-hmm. sleep, sleep and be separated for some few hours from all the torments you've devised for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little picture of God sending his rain on the, the, bright, just of the, unjust. the just and the unjust. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like for some people really is how it is.
0: Well, there are people that have devised literally their own torments. I mean, there are people that are dying in hospital beds right now because of sins that they've committed because they drank themselves to death because they... Tr- Yep. And suddenly they get some medicine. So suddenly they get a blanket, you know. I mean, God does have...
1: And that's all the comfort that they get between now and eternity unless they repent.
0: Right. But they do. But God does but give them those little it. mercies. Yep. And he is a good and generous God like that. That's a nice That's a nice Aslan moment.
1: I also like that he becomes harmless in his old age because he won't go near magic. He's just got some old stories. Right. And Diggory's dad takes
0: him in. Yeah, he's just this doddering... Some yeah. language. Idiot, yeah. Yeah, some language. Lewis with the language. I remember my, my mom would read this book out loud and I, I went back to the book and read it as an adult or as an older kid and I was like, what's this Dem part? Because I, I remembered the last line of the book as being, she was a fine lady. And then I had to think, oh yeah, thanks mom. You you cleaned it up a little bit. My mom censored. C.S. So yes, yeah. Lewis. Yep,
1: there's some some of that and some, some Lord's name in vain type things. I think Lewis got a kick out of making the cabbie one of the more the most foul mouthed person in the book actually. Right. By putting the Lord's name in vain in his mouth all the time. But also making him the only actual real Christian in the book.
0: Yeah, which I suppose makes a good point, but I wish we didn't have to read blasphemy. Yeah. In a children's books might be a place for it in literature, but not really here, I don't think.
1: I also wondered, uh, reading it, um, one of the things that I keep wanting to call her Jill Polly, mm-hmm. that Polly kept in her smuggler's cave was ginger beer, and I wondered as a kid if I thought that that was something.
0: Some illicit, like
1: some illicit, yeah, some like some
2: alcohol, yeah,
0: yeah. It wasn't, by the way, to to all the little Jakes out there listening. Yeah,
1: if you if you thought that that was something, sorry, it's just like g- ginger ale. Ginger actually, ale. ale is same thing. Al- ale is an alcoholic beverage, but ginger ale, not
0: ginger beer. Digger he puts on those rings. He goes to the wood between the worlds yeah yeah what do you guys think about that wood between the worlds
1: it's interesting enough i guess
0: yeah interesting enough i guess this is like the coolest conceit in all, all right. seven books i think really yeah the woods oh i just like the allure of the unknown you know yeah. the fact that every one of those pools had another world i mean i just think that's a really cool fantasy
1: and there are all these unexplored worlds
0: yeah, any any sort of story that has a hallway with door with doors that go to infinite places, or I I just I love that idea. I, I I will say that's a really common fantasy trope, and you'll see that in a lot of children's literature. The idea of you know the magical thing that goes to a magical place that has lots of magical the hallway full of doors that he or the you know I think N.D. Wilson. I haven't read these books, but he's got the cupboards, the cupboards, a hundred cupboards, and it can be cheesy it can be overdone it can be one of those things that's just banal because we've seen it so many times i guess banal is my word of the podcast here but i still think it's cool the way lewis does it i like the idea i like the stillness i like the fact that it's in a woods with pools like that's just a cool image well
1: we started at the top of the top of the podcast of the episode talking about how as kids we've all imagined hiding in these prosaic places in our <coughs> lives that would somehow be transformed into something else. right? And so yeah. whether it's a cupboard or a wardrobe or.
0: Yeah, I had a very specific fantasy of being able to go under my blankets and just be in my own little house. I love when uh Ron and Hermione and Harry in book seven are traveling and they have the little tent that they can go into and then it's its own little apartment or whatever inside the tent. I always like stuff like that. I used to fantasize about that all the time. And actually, it was like my go-to comfort food for my brain kind of fantasy like when my parents were fighting or when I was scared or when I was unhappy or when it was a rainy day and I was going to have to get up in 5 minutes and go to school. Just any time I wanted to crawl into a mental safe space, I would imagine that I could go into a little house that was contained under my blankets or in my closet. Or in my car, and actually, I'll still do that to this day, like maybe once or twice a year or something like that. Not not all the time, but pretend like you can go to
2: a different world. Yeah, no, no just
0: uh, imagine how cool it would be to like open up the trunk of my car, and there's a staircase, and I go down, and I've got a whole house, and open like, up your fridge, and it takes
2: you to the realm of Gozer.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and then I love the world that they go to. Charn <laughs> is really. Interesting. Yeah. It's a dying world which, with a great
2: big
1: red sun. Yeah, dark was, sky.
0: Yeah. Which was really scary. Like that little snippet, that little vision of the apocalypse really stuck with me. Just the idea of, oh, in a thousands of years our world could be like this. The the sun could be dying, people could be dying, it could be empty. You know, there's these tropes that you see like you might we've seen twilight zones and movies with that conceit, but I think that was the first time I'd come across it. Just the idea of a world that's on its way out the door.
1: Yeah, no, that was like, that was it was cool
0: and it's creepy. Just the the silence, the statues, the bell, the red gleam to the, everything, the yeah. red gleam to everything. It's, Walls
1: that could fall at any minute if you made a big enough sound, which was a little obvious setup. You know, like in an avalanche, Polly. Yeah. Right, a big <laughs> enough sound could cause things, all these things, to collapse. Right, a, f- a few moments later. Look a bell. What would happen if we ring this bell? <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't do it. But it's really scary. Like you, I mean, I, I think even as a kid, like I knew, oh, that woman's gonna come
2: back, and and you know that nothing good's gonna happen. You just yep. yeah, it has that nightmare weird quality, like Pan's Labyrinth when she goes Very into nightmare
1: that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. hall
2: with the guy with his hands mm-hmm. with the eyes in his hands. Yeah, it's this world you don't know why it's there or why it's set up that way, mm-hmm. and it's terrifying. Yeah.
0: Well, it has that nightmare quality of inevitability. You sort of know, even as a kid, that, like I said, the girl, the woman's going to come alive, yeah. that something bad, you know, nothing good, they're, they're not going to meet a fairy godmother here. They're going to meet a bad guy. Yeah, uh, this is all bad. And yet, you know that there's no stopping it. You can't be like, Diggory, no, wait, We've we've talked on some podcast about the alfred hitchcock theory of suspense which is that you have surprise which is where people are sitting around we're sitting around a table podcasting bomb goes off jake nathan brandon are dead or you have suspense which is we see somebody plant the bomb and then the three of us walk in and we start podcasting yeah and you establish. you know you if, if at the beginning of this episode we had you know benjamin solzer plant a bomb or a machine where we have to give it the right answer. Right, exactly. Yeah. Then everyone's on the edge of their seats, even yeah. though the podcast is completely normal. They're like, oh no, are the guys going to blow up? This this has that quality of, even though we haven't been told exactly what's going on, we know it's not good and we're waiting for the bad surprise. And then we do blow up. And then we yeah. blow up. So this is
1: the suspense model, obviously. <laughs> right, yeah. Everything about, it's like cueing you. This is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Mm-hmm. What What's the bad thing that's going to happen here?
0: Right, it, it really is just a haunted house horror movie i mean they're just walking through an ominous location we know something's gonna surprise them and be bad these statues statues are always creepy anyway and there's this woman that we spend extra time describing and so we know it's gonna be her and you know it's just creepy i don't know what i don't have any more profound thoughts about it than that so he does the bell thing which i know people know i've responded this because i know i've talked about it on more than one episode the bell thing has always stuck with me. It's been one of those little metaphors that, I don't know if it's ever prevented me from sinning, but I certainly think about it a lot when I'm about to sin. Like, oh boy, you know. I I just have to know. I just have to know what would happen if I ate ate too many Cheetos. That's not a good (laughs) (laughs) analogy. But I don't want to use a real analogy because of course what I'm thinking of is my days as a teenager looking at pornography, folks. And this metaphor would often occur to me then. There. that's a helpful
1: metaphor to have it
0: is a yeah. helpful metaphor to have and to realize you know what you don't really need to know what this kind of pornography looks like you don't really need
1: to know not for you yeah it's not for you mm. hashtag jake's augustine
0: yes thing see other episodes of the bookening or sound of sanity Sound of Sanity. yeah so then jadis comes alive ah, what maybe do we... i should just give him the yeah book. just give him a hint give him a taste
1: augustine in the confessions distinguishes between the lust of he has this little riff on
0: actually they Apostle John has this riff. The,
1: right. He has a riff on what John says, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Right. Right. And he talks about the distinction between the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, which maybe for you, as it was for me until I read Augustine, they were so closely connected in my mind that I couldn't see the distinction. Oh, it's just
0: poetic uh, yeah, repetition. Yeah. It's just yeah. basically saying the same thing.
1: But what what Augustine does is he distinguishes. No, there's a difference between... The lust of the flesh actually gratifying your flesh with sex, with food, with whatever. And the lust of the eyes, which is a desire to see things that are not for your eyes to see. And it's a separate sin and it's a different kind of thing. And he gives the example of how you will stop on the side of the road to go and look at a dead
0: body. Rubberneckers.
1: Rubberneckers at an accident. There's nothing about it that's pleasing or satisfying. It might make you throw up. All of this stuff. It's really just not for you. It's an unhealthy, morbid curiosity for things that are not for your eyes to see that are forbidden from you. Unhealthy, sick, perverse curiosity as opposed to a perverse desire for gratification. Super helpful distinction for me in my own fight against pornography and things like that.
0: Well, and it can be as simple as, you know what? I don't really need to know what my ex-girlfriend is doing on Facebook. Like, that's, exactly. not, that's not for me to know. Exactly. There's all kinds of things in life that are perfectly good things, even, but they're just not my things,
1: yeah, but a lot of social media is that there's like there are these people out there, and they don't really realize when they're posting their into the intimate details of your life of their life that you specifically are looking in on that because you've not talked to them in ten years. They're thinking of a handful of people, but you also happen to be friends with them. There's just these things that this is not for you to know,
0: yeah, for me, actually, one of the applications was I stopped watching. Uh, true crime documentaries because I was just like, you know what? I understand enough about my own evil heart. I'm not gaining any insight there. And I don't need to know the morbid details of how such and such a real life person was murdered. You know, it's not helping me. It's certainly not helping them. And why do I want to know? Like, what's interesting about this? I, I I know they were murdered. There's no suspense here. You know, it's just like the the only real interest in this is just to know something nasty that happened.
1: Yeah, a lot of like as much as pornography, a lot of like slasher films and stuff like that feed the same sort of desire or same types of desires—the mm-hmm. lust of the eyes, the desire to see and know things that are forbidden, the wrong, the right. evil.
0: Well, I think a lot of the interest that people have as they go down, get, get into, get deeper into pornography, isn't just about. I feel lust, it's about I feel that kind of lust just to know the kind of sick things that people do or the kind of weird things, the kind of fetishes that people want to know about those things and they feel gratified by.
1: Yeah, I need to know everything about every kind of perversion. I need to know everything about every kind of woman. And you know what? I need to know and see it all. You don't consume it. You don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, God made you, if you're a man, God made you for one woman.
0: But I need to understand more about depravity so that I can understand the grace of the gospel
1: that's good. Ca- nope. God made you for one woman. And if you're a woman, God made you for one man.
0: And you don't have to know and about
1: that, every. Unless you don't get to get married. And,
0: In that case, God made you for no women.
1: And that's, a, yeah. And therefore, that's okay. it. That's okay. Yeah. If you're single, that's it. End of story. It's not for you to know the secrets of, of sex. Yeah, that's something that's that's a beautiful, fun thing to figure out with your wife someday. Don't spoil it.
0: Can't confirm. Recently married. Actually, it's been interesting. I think I always, it's not that I, I love to watch awful things in movies, but I always had more of a blasé attitude about nudity and things like that, that just having been married now and having been in a relationship before that for a little while, it, Sickens me in a different way it sickens me in a more specific way it used to be like oh I shouldn't be watching this but now it's like she shouldn't be doing this Mm. she shouldn't be showing this not this is not this is not mine to see and it's also not hers to give away to the world like this just to make money or just to get ahead in her career it's it's gross and it's all implicit in Diggory ringing that bell Lewis understood temptation I think Lewis really his great besides his literary theory which is wonderful his great spiritual or psychological insight was into temptation he understood how temptation worked screw tape letters is great Mm -hmm. this is great a lot of great stronger parts of mere christianity stronger parts of mere christianity stronger parts of narnia it's lucy with the book in voyage of the dog Dog treader it's edmund
1: edmund with Mm -hmm. the turkish delight
0: Uh yeah it's eustace with the treasure like he just he just really got it. It's the guys fighting over. Those the...
1: are some of the very best moments of Narnia.
0: Yeah, probably the, I would say, yeah. off the top of my head. So then Jadis comes alive. And how do you guys, do you feel like she lived up to your, what the White Witch should have been, you know, for a prequel? Kind? I
1: think this is a common sort of thing to do. And I think Lewis does it about as well as you could want, which is, I mean, you see this even in like Maleficence, a good example of this actually, right? right? Sleeping Beauty Leficent is just this horrible just evil. a force of nature. A she's force of evil. evil that, personified, yeah. Yeah, and we don't know anything about her except she's scary. And that what's scary about her is we don't even know why she's evil, she's just evil. And then they go back and try to give her this great big multi-movie backstory right. that makes her sympathetic, but explains <laughs> how she gets to be what she is. And I've not seen those movies. I understand they're pretty bad. Right. Whatever. Lewis basically does the same thing here. In The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Jadis is evil. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. She's always been a Narnia for all we know. There's a time before Jadis that nobody can remember. It's almost legendary. She's just the White Witch and she's evil. Right. And she gets brought down in that movie to a pretty, you know, like you said earlier about the villains in Lewis, they always end up being comedic. Right. In the, how... Petty small and pedestrian they are
0: they're stupid they're they're Tom and Tom and Jerry, they're wily yeah. coyote, they're just like
1: yeah, so to to go back and to give her a a broader story, fill out her backstory. she's from another world, a dying world. She was a great enchantress in this world. She learned the power of destroying all worlds. We're going to have a little commentary on the nuclear bomb here a little bit later, right, like
0: yeah. oh children, your world has something quite like that. Is it Aslan that has a little anti-nuclear speech? Yeah, he... I think it is him, yeah. yeah.
1: he he says, take, you know, take warning from from Charn and,
0: oh, surely our world
1: isn't that evil. And then he's like, well, yeah. there are evil people in it and they may yet one day discover a power by which they can do the same kind of damage that she did and...
0: Yeah, it's, well, it's a little dated, but... <laughs> That's okay. It's okay to...
1: And you got to put yourself back there and think about the that kind of nuclear fear. Like that was a real terrifying thing for a lot of people for a long time. And a yes. real
0: threat. Yeah. Oh, and you know, maybe by the time this episode comes out, North Korea will have dropped the bomb and everyone will be like not so dated now. We don't,
1: we don't feel the pressure of the Cold War and no, we don't. a nuclear Stop holocaust. Right. But I remember a little bit of that as a kid mm-hmm. growing up. I I felt the echoes
0: of that. Yeah. As a kid growing up, for sure. Yeah, I wasn't. I I, I didn't say it in the most condescending voice possible. Possible, but that was mostly just me having fun. I, I think it is dated in the sense that it no longer applies in the same way. We don't feel the pressure when Aslan makes his little speech. But it's not. It's not a bad moment. It's just a moment. No, it's, no, it's just. It's just interesting to observe that Lewis did something that doesn't translate to our time. Now it's carbon emissions. Now it's carbon emissions. <laughs> yeah, one day, children. <laughs> Until it goes
1: back to nuclear war. Right. I guess the point is, she had this whole like great big epic battle with her sister and all this stuff in the past, and she's got to cope with new worlds. Just and when she comes to our world, it's it's nice and interesting and fun to see these other worlds engaging with our world, which is something that hasn't happened in Narnia before. Right. Actually. We go to we go to Narnia. Right, Narnia doesn't come to our world, and then Jada actually to know that the white witch has actually been in our world in England and, in England, and also that she was powerless,
0: and that she had yeah,
1: she was taller that she was seven foot tall, and she was strong, and she could
2: she could tear a she could kill people, off, she could tear
1: yeah. a lamppost out of the ground or the arm of a lamppost straight off the you know off the lamp, but her magic was nothing in our world, just didn't work right. Well, but I, then you get to Narnia, you, you you see all of these things happen, you see her be and then we have the little Garden of Eden thing.
0: Yeah. Well, we get a second. I did want to say on your on, on your point that uh Lewis fills in her backstory, and you could argue maybe that it's better to just leave her as a force of nature kind of villain, a more satanic creature. What I think the neat trick that he does, and I've seen other authors and creators have done this a similar thing, is he tells you a lot more about her without really telling you anything. Right. What was, what's lame is when somebody goes back and tries to explain the evil in the sense of why it was it evil, you know? Uh, like, like Kathy in East of Eden, Steinbeck's mm-hmm. just, he begins her story by saying, some people are born monsters, I don't know why. If, if Steinbeck then at the end of the book said, but actually it was because She's her daddy beat her, her or she was molested, yeah. Then that would be super lame. But Lewis actually doesn't do that. Well, the lame version of this is, they go to charn and there's this little girl who's being picked on at an orphanage and she's, right. she's like yeah. getting more mad and or mad
1: by her dad or, or
0: beaten or by her dad or whatever. And, and then, then she
1: discovers her evil powers. And you know,
0: I said that was lame, but this act, that actually sounds kind of cool. Actually, now that we're describing <laughs> it, <laughs> um, but, what all the movies do with the Grinch, right? Yeah. That's what the movies do with the Grinch. That's exactly right. That stupid Grinch movie. The people in Whoville didn't appreciate him cause he was green. Is that it's that kind of thing. They made fun of him. They made they fun of him.
1: him. He was in and I think what with Maleficent.
0: It's like they drove her out of the kingdom because she was too powerful or, or no, I think a,
1: so that she got raped or something. Oh,
0: did she? Well, there you go. I think I read I'm so or sorry. saw something about Whoa. that. I'm so sorry, Maleficent. I did not mean to make light of that. Yeah. But, but like maybe she got Disney thing that was a metaphor for raped. I think that might have might be. But neither sure. one of us has seen the movie. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen it. Um
1: yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know exactly.
0: In any case, that would have been the lame thing to do with the witch is uh, here's why she's evil. Lewis actually doesn't tell us why she's evil. He leaves that mysterious. uh,
1: To put the finger on it, here's why uh, she's a victim.
0: Right. Exactly. Here's why she's a victim. Here's why it's actually more complicated. No, it's not more complicated. She was always a psychopathic, horrible person that was into deep, mysterious, evil, dark stuff. Yeah. But... One time she had a sister and they had a fight and she did some crazy stuff. And then she went to this. So it's like we fill in some history. Yeah. But we don't solve the central mystery that is the White Witch's psychology. You know, She's
2: still just a witch. Yeah, basically. it's like uh, Tolkien was a Sauron. He never tries to make Sauron a good guy. But he does give you some history behind him in the Samarillian. Yeah, it's like here's
0: t- what Sauron was like, how he appeared. Here's some additional yeah. information for anyone that's interested. Uh, it's a little bit like what Lucas does. That that great author George Lucas does with Palpatine in the in the prequel trilogy, it's like here's some interesting aspects of who Palpatine was, but we're never really gonna tell you. I'm sure the nerds will tell me that like in the books they actually do explain what happened to Palpatine and all that, and we get some hints with uh Darth pelagius and stuff like that. But basically, we get Palpatine's still just the devil, you know? He's still yeah. just
2: he's still just bad. It's just we could just get some slightly different flavors of bad. We can't have this episode without talking about Harry Potter. That's right. When you get Voldemort for the first time, she doesn't try to, like, say that the orphanage made Voldemort. Voldemort, Tom Riddle was always kind of a psychopathic kid. Well, we did the our...
1: orphanage didn't know what to do with them.
2: Yeah. Well, we could argue about that again,
0: but... Ooh. I always I, I remember arguing in our episodes and you, you can, you can we just, were against you. Yes, I I I realize you were. I wanted to argue that she kind of tried to split the difference and she should have just chosen psychopath. But she does a good job. She's she she does pretty good. She does pretty good.
2: Yeah, and to go back to this though, yeah, it's it's interesting. You get some of the white witch's background, you get to see how she becomes the white witch mm-hmm. when she eats that apple. But it all makes sense and none of it spoils her mystery as the white witch. Right. Because, I mean, when you even when you see her for the first time, you don't get the whole history behind that. She's in this cathedral-like room, and there's still a mystery and power to that as well. Yeah. So there's still a whole history that you don't have with her. Yeah. That's really interesting.
1: And she's been in this world for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah.
2: And even the fight between her sister, like she hints at the fact that she had to do horrible things to get the deplorable word. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it, it it again deals in that
0: sort of that um, mystery. It,
1: it deals Uncle in that. Andrew mystery. also had to do horrible things to get the knowledge that he, yeah, got. who did Uncle Andrew did? Uncle Andrew
2: did. Yeah, they both uh, had
1: to do horrible things. It's like, it's, yep, yeah, a yeah, lot it's, of parallelism. Yeah, that they like when Voldemort has yeah. to go
2: to that one country that he disappears for years. Mm-hmm.
0: Or like Palpatine with Darth Pelagius. It's yeah. all the great stories.
2: Yeah, all the great ones.
0: But I was like, well, the Star Wars thing I was actually going to compare it to was Rogue One flying over that stat those statues. This has that same feeling of, oh man, I'd like to know what the the real story with Charn is. Like yeah. when is some nerdy mm-hmm. millennial writer gonna write some knockoff Lewis books that fill in all this backstory for us? Sounds like Warhorn has an opportunity here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What's the guy's name that owns the the Lewis? library these days we can get in oh, touch Walter with Walter Hooper Walter let's get in touch with Hooper see oh, if he Hooper. wants to cut a deal well, me and Jake can churn out some charn books Brandon you want to help write the sure yeah let's do it the legend of charn it'd be fun to
2: get Salmon Roosty to do it <laughs>
0: let's get Salmon Roosty to do it that sounds good Mid, Midnight's, midnight's Charnton yeah, that would be a
2: crazy book <laughs> I'm so sorry folks
0: <laughs> please forget that I said Midnight's Charnton uh so we go to the world we There's a little kerfuffle, and then we get back to Narnia, and we get to the creation story. Yep. I think we were all dreading, is it fair to say we were all dreading the creation stuff?
2: Yeah, I was worried that I was was going to hate it as much as I hated all the other Aslan stuff.
0: Well, Brandon, I think you've made fun of it on mic because you said, oh, the lion's going to sing it into existence or something like that. And it wasn't as bad as I feared it would be. (laughs) It wasn't as bad. Was it at all bad? Did you guys feel at all uncomfortable with this or just like it was cheesy? I didn't feel
1: too bad about it at all. No. I liked the way the stars flew up into the sky.
2: That was cool. Yeah.
1: Where they were just suddenly there. They were there and they were singing, or were they, or we don't know. It was a mystery. Yeah. Diggory swore that it was the stars in later life, that it was the stars themselves that were singing. And I even liked the idea of Aslan's speech being song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. I just like that idea. I don't, I don't want to pretend like he's got some insight into the way that God actually made the world,
2: and I don't think he's trying to pretend like he does.
0: But there. that was the nice thing is that it didn't feel like he was straining for any big point
2: about how creation. Yeah, I think must he just thought or... of a fun way to have or an interesting way to have Aslan bring this world into existence. Yeah, there's some mythology built into that, like you I thought, of like Orpheus or something sure. singing.
1: Yeah, but, but also, where were you? Um, you know, I flung out the lines of the heavens and the morning stars sing for joy or whatever yeah. it was, right?
2: And so there wasn't, and I think it's what you were saying, there's not the weird stretching to try and make some sort of theological, Not he wasn't trying to mix his, pa- not even paganism, his imaginative desire for the world with theology and with scripture.
1: No, No, it's much more like, okay, I've written five books now that have this deity creature at the center of it. This deity creature were to create a world like this, Uh how would he do it? Yeah. So it feels more natural, like, less like, let's pretend like Aslan and Jesus really are the same person, but more like Aslan's the creator of this very particular world. And Aslan's a character that we've lived with for five books.
2: And he lets people- this is a world
1: we've lived in for five books, so- How does how would that work?
2: And he also lets his people respond without the weird Lewisian like I'm going to drink this if I could drink this water even if it killed me I would still drink it right or eat me as land. <laughs> Instead, here it's we can all. One of my favorite lines in these the series is when the cabbie sees us and said, "If I had known things like this were in the world, I'd have been a better man my entire life." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can feel that. I mean, yeah, there are times when you feel that way. Absolutely, like. Yep. Man, if I could only remember this every day, I'd be a better man for it. That's a moving line. And then, and then also, Aslan's not controlling everything. Like, you don't get the sense that Aslan was, like, somehow manipulating. He wasn't a cat hiding in Charn, watching them and making right. sure that they, and then, you know, getting everything to here to this point. Instead, once he finds out what happened, he's sad and he's upset. And now he's like, okay, well, now you're going to have to go to this tree. And even though the ending seems a little tacked on and weird. It's still it all works. And it doesn't feel cheesy or it doesn't feel Gnostic-y and weird and fake like some of the stuff and even the ones that I liked, like the Don Treader. No, that's exactly what Jake is saying. It feels like yeah. Lewis wasn't thinking about what what is there in the Bible
0: or in real life that I want to make a point about. He, it feels like he was simply extrapolating
2: exactly not yeah. from life but from Narnia. Like okay yes. Nar- Aslan doesn't have to become a lamb. Right.
1: No, Narnia has to become Narnia, and it has to become Narnia by the hand of this lion creature that I have made the god of this world. Yeah, and so, what's a consistent way to get from point A Aslan to point B Narnia?
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and so there's moments like where he has the animals gather around him, and then he chooses some of them to be talking beasts and some of them to be dumb beasts, and tells them to treat the dumb beasts with a decent amount of respect. That just feel, I'm I'm sure people stretch to make that into some deep point about the christian life or about the way god's ordered the world but actually it just feels like well let's justify what we what happens in narnia now
1: that is the one place that i think he is making a point which is you know virtue is what ma- gives you nobility and yes and so if you i have given you an intrinsic kind of nobility maintain your virtue or you will become a beast and he's making a comment even about humanity i mean he is in fact making a comment about our humanity that the degree to which we lose our virtue we lose our
0: humanity right I, I don't disagree with that I think the I th- the reason I think I d-
1: that was contrived to make a point actually is I guess all I'm saying it doesn't feel that way well maybe, it's it, it's it's, it's
0: making a little moral point based on universal wisdom which Lewis does all the time in all kinds of places and is very good at it's not trying to say anything all that deep about. Oh yeah, you know sure. theology or something, yeah, which is where yeah, Lewis yeah. runs into trouble.
2: I thought he was trying to admit to being a Calvinist. Was he? Oh, because uh, unless he's a, he's choosing these animals. Uh, right.
1: Well, unless he's a horrible racist and he's actually making judgments about pygmies in Africa. Uh,
0: if, 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 if you want racism, then listen to our episode on the horse and his boy, folks. Yeah, there's um, lots of it there. Yeah. Oh, I just want to say the cabbie and his wife love them, Great. Yeah. Wonderful. Forgot all about them. Was Really pleased to see them pop up, and to it's always delightful when you read a book or watch a movie or something that you haven't watched for years, and you're like, oh yeah, this is in here. I really like this. This is this is cool. I hope this goes where I'm remember where I think I remember it goes. Yeah, and you're like oh yeah, he's the king and it's the first king and queen of Narnia. It's just this cabbie. No, no, I, that to me was always
1: one of the best parts of the book that I would not like. One of the things that I never forget.
0: It was not burned into my brain. The but,
1: thing that I forget is like the crawl space between the houses and stuff right. like that.
0: Maybe 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 I could say has felt the slightest bit condescending like the way that yeah a rich person writes poor people or the way that a white collar nor- person writes blue collar people the way or a northerner writes a southerner. Precisely. Yeah. It was done with kindness and I liked the cabbie and I liked his wife and I thought that whole storyline was
2: sweet. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, when that sort of thing is healthy is when you pick up on the fact that the person writing about them he's not looking down on them. He actually kind of wishes he was them. Yeah. I, I mean, think you know, he Lewis, does. Lewis wishes that he was a simpler man.
1: I was a little nervous that he had that moment where he was like, you know, and his speech slowed down and he started to speak more, (laughs) less like he was a cockney. Right. (laughs) And I thought that we were going to see him then, I was afraid that we were going to see him actually become more dignified and high in his speech or whatever. Right. He didn't do that. What he did do was maybe slow him down a little bit, but it was less make him more highbrow and more... Take more of the city out of him, right? Yeah, he's been infected by London a little bit,
0: right? But it was sweet. It yes, was sweet. It was great, and it's sweet that Aslan brought his wife along, and it's just a nice. I don't know. Just it's, it's just great. it's just fun. It's this random cabbie got sucked into another world and became the first. King of Narnia. Like, who would... like
2: His horse gets to become the first flying pegasus.
0: His horse did get to become the first flying pegasus, and they went on a little adventure that we're going to talk about now. Yeah. They go to Eden to pluck
2: the apple and... Because for some reason they need to plant a tree that is going to now protect Narnia. Though do we ever find out how the tree dies? I think it just no. dies of old age, doesn't it? Because Aslan basically says it'll last for a few hundred years, and then the
0: witch will... This this is only a stopgap. It's not an actual.
1: I think it's fun that there's a mystery there. Mm -hmm. I can imagine there being the witch goes and is far away. But, you know, as the Narnians spread out, you know, she sort of infects the dwarves and she gathers her forces and she sends them on missions with their dwarf axes to chop down the tree. And the Narnians are fighting to protect the tree. And one day, uh, There's a whole story there that you could draw up. That I like that it's left to the imagination. Let's not leave it. Maybe maybe it does die of old age. Maybe there's this whole story of the witch that she figures out how to get it finally get it killed.
0: I I think we get the rights, Jake, and let's let's write that one too. We'll write Midnight's Charndon and and tell the story of Charn. Let's tell the story of this tree. Yeah, I don't think anything should be left to anyone's imagination.
2: That one can be written by Kazuo Ishiguro. <laughs> yeah, and why would you treaty. want to tell
1: an original Remains story when you could and just live you, you treat me yeah. these Louisian sandboxes that are perfect? Yeah, why would anybody parody something when they could just write a letter to Wormwood?
0: <sighs> can we talk about that for a second, Jake? I do not like it when people write their own Wormwood letters.
1: What? I've written like five thousand of them.
0: Have you, Jake? Don't, yeah, I've, don't.
1: I'm in a habit. of- Don't. Every time I think, man, there's something that I want to sarcastically parody. I think, oh, you know what? There's only one really good way to do this. That's to write a letter to Wormwood from Screwtape.
0: Well, Jake, I think you're doing a little sarcastic parody right now.
1: Oh, you caught me. Because you, you don't my my actually do dear this, Wormwood. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 My dear Wormwood. A lot of Christians are writing faux Lewis letters to Wormwood. <laughs> it's really annoying. They are the, all creativity is dead and people just have to latch on to old conceits and, and 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 do tired old formulas instead of being creative and coming up with their own satirical formulas.
1: Oh, you know what else would be good is if there was a newspaper, but that it wasn't a newspaper. It was like fake news mm-hmm. with satirical headlines that had stories that were really stupid but the headlines were
2: you mean the onion that's pretty funny
1: <laughs> yeah the onion that's what i'm talking about oh, yeah. yeah okay yeah yeah that's cool yeah. Well, what if we did well, the christian onion was version. a good modern take on an old art form yeah yeah what if we did that but we just made it christian
2: yeah we could call it like the uh but or
1: we could if... still rip on the same sort of like I mean, sort of like maybe liberal or whatever, just from a conservative standpoint. So like we rip on Obama, we could maybe rip on Trump if we needed to prove that we're not Trumpians or whatever. But, you know, we could rip on Pelosi, you know, really big targets in the Christian world like Joel Osteen and Pentecostals.
0: So are we going to go for like hard targets that will really make Christians... Feel bad.
2: Yeah, like Joel Osteen. Like Joel yeah.
0: Osteen. Okay, yeah, yeah. That'll really put people on their heels. Call it like the
2: Galilee yeah. Gazette. The
0: Galilee Gazette could be good. Galilee Gazette's almost too good, though. Almost too good. No, what's another? Uh, you could do. What's like... a bad place in the Bible? Yeah. Sodom. <laughs> 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 the Gomorrah Gazette. The, the, war, the, war. Uh, the, the uh, Assyrian.
1: That's no, going to go to the Assyrian, too.
0: I mean, I'm not quite feeling it, though. Something in that area. Ah. Uh... Oh man, what else you got there? You got the, uh, Chaldean, the
1: Chaldean Chronicle. The Chaldean, Chaldean Chronicle—that's
2: Chronicle. Oh, pretty good, pretty great. <laughs> we're, we're almost there. Uh, the the what what else you got?
1: Canaanite times. Canaanite, canaanite
0: times canaanite times not that pretty bad great. That's, that's that's, that's it we I already think. got the canaanite times right it's in new york you guys <laughs> no, i mean come man. on <laughs> this is the kind of satire we can do yeah. in our, in our yeah. newspaper well there's the yeah, new there's, york there's, times it's always yeah, it's like it's the same it's, it's like fast. basically kind of just the same thing, thing. yeah, I yeah like explained it's just it. canaan yeah i'm glad that yeah. we did that because i wasn't sure i got it yeah no no we need to explain things maybe if we can make our long. Because I think, um, really, length is the soul of wit. So <laughs> yes. the more time it takes to kind of read and piece together the idea, the funnier it'll be. Um, yes, you heard a bee,
2: a bee? Yeah, thought I heard a bee. <laughs> never mind.
0: No, it was
2: I like a bee. I, it's, it'd be a weird time of night to hear a bee, but I could have sworn I heard a bee buzzing. Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's weird.
1: Well, anyway, back to uh...
2: what about Babylon? Yeah. Babylon babbler.
1: Babylon, Babylon, oh, how the mighty of...
2: The whore of? The whore I mean, of. it's not yeah. a good place. Bab- the Babylon whore?
0: That- <laughs> no, Brandon, Christians might not like that. Oh. Yeah. Babylon 5? Five. <sighs> Babylon five's a TV show. Oh, my bad. Babylon 3? <laughs> Maybe we can do like a parody where it's like <laughs> Obama and Hillary, mm-hmm. we need three more, <laughs> then we have the Babylon 5, am uh-huh. I right? oh. oh. Oh, um, <laughs> that's great. like joel Osteen, <laughs> we just need yeah. to uh darth vader darth vader yeah that's good <laughs> people like darth vader references anyhow uh jadis and uh the babylon bee well that sounds great nathan brandon you you heard that bee and i just I put just it together you know how people always call their newspapers bees no uh what i don't <laughs>
1: Can you explain?
0: And you know how there's not any scriptures against stealing, so it's okay for us to just steal this idea from the onion, right? Yeah, Yeah. they're pagans. Right, yeah. Well, the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Well, no,
1: I mean, if you just do the Christian version of something that pagans are doing, that's That's, a totally, completely unique way of doing it. Have you ever listened to DC Talk?
2: Yeah. By the way, you guys never told me whether or not you liked my uh, pitch for the TV show Breaking Good. (laughs) did you guys read that script yet (laughs)
0: well guys I dare say we've engaged in our own hilarious satire
2: tonight hilarious (laughs) we we sure did take
0: down an already dead institution we we weren't
2: going to make anybody mad this episode (laughs) oh people don't still care about the battle on V do Uh. they
0: Uh, so Jadis uh, oh no so act 3 do you guys like this act 3 what do you think about this act 3 the whole quest on Pegasus quest, to go
2: get the. It seemed it felt a little perfunctory to me. Yeah, it seemed a little bit out of place. I mean, I knew I know what he was trying to do. He wanted to tie all the threads together. He had the mother who was right. sick and dying, and so the tree of the land of youth, right? And there had to be also this idea that he brought the witch into the world, and so he was going to have to be the one to help make it right. Yeah. That was Why funny.
1: do the sons of Adam need to sit on the throne?
2: Where did the wardrobe come from and how that was that cool connected to the magic i'd forgotten magic. about that that was cool yeah. oh man
0: i've always loved that that's great yeah. that tree yeah and so yeah it's i actually little- had a little like yay when i was reading just just a little childlike moment of like oh that's fun i, I didn't yeah. actually clap my hands but i may as well have i i actually felt elated like yeah. the wardrobe came
2: from that so it's a little clunky in the sense that it just feels man, tagged.
1: This was your favorite book as a kid and you didn't latch onto that or remember it. That's
2: uh, it's been so many years since
0: I've read these and I remember wardrobe so clearly, but man, I, I have not huh. remembered these books well. Yeah. Um I was like the, same the
1: way. two things that I remember about this book. Or the th- three things. Three things. Only mm-hmm. three things. This is the origin story <laughs> of the wardrobe. Right. This is the origin story of how the white witch got into Narnia and Uncle Andrew's obnoxious and Diggory and magic rings right. and stuff. I didn't even remember and the rings. And singing creation. Yeah.
2: I think the reason it feels weird at the end is because when you have a creation story, mm-hmm. that kind of seems like the high point and that seems kind of like the climax. Yeah. And so for the story then to have another act after that, it's kind of like the weird ending to, which is it Henry V where suddenly you have like a, He's He's got a squabble at the end. Yeah, yeah, he's got (laughs) to have a conversation with that lady. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, it feels just, it feels tacked on. Mm -hmm. And even though it's interesting, it's an interesting little myth. It goes on a little long. And, but still, I'm more willing to forgive it in this book.
1: Yeah, I liked it fine. Well, you've got, you know, a temptation in the garden. And,
0: yeah. I have to say, and again, it's fine. I was expecting, and I, I I know I said positive energy in this episode, I, I was expecting. A better temptation scene, given how awesome C.S. Lewis is at temptation <coughs> scenes. This one felt, again, just a little perfunctory. Her big thing is you can save your mother, I guess. And Aslan, it's good. It's I was just expecting like to walk away with some some fresh insight into temptation or something, or into the way the devil works, and it felt relatively straightforward compared to a lot of his temptation scenes
2: yeah the temptation scene in the silver chair is better
0: yeah the temptation scene in the silver chair is maybe the high watermark of lewis temptation scenes
2: it felt it felt like a watercolor
1: gotta read paralandra
2: yeah well, I'm, i will yeah, um yeah there they you do. You. yep i will one of these days but yeah it did these last scenes did feel a little bit like like i said like a watercolor mm-hmm. it felt kind of thinly painted but i was still fine with it yeah it was good I mean, we'll see how the lampposts do. You felt like he was starting to run out of gas is what you felt like. Mm-hmm. Like he knew he had to do this somehow. And so let's put some wings on a horse and get them up to this apple so we can get this over with. Right. Well, if you did the movie, you'd probably have the witch would chase
0: them or something. Yeah.
2: It'd be some action scene or something. Yeah. So you feel like either he had to do it this way and get it over with, or he had to have Aslan say, and that'll be what happens in The Magician's Nephew Part 2. Right. (laughs) And then deal with that in a completely different book. Yeah. I think it may have also rung home a little bit
0: more for me if I'd felt like Diggory really did anything wrong. I I suppose he did by ringing the bell, and that's the point. But the fact that the witch ended up in Narnia, to me, didn't feel like like she was just following them. There was nothing they could do. He didn't mean to bring the witch into Narnia. But he's the one who woke her up. He is the one that woke her up. So, I mean, they brought an evil into the... But he had already apologized to... Uh, polly it's weird but for somebody to, to learn a lesson already regret something and then have aslan rub it in their face
2: and how innocent is a world that's gonna have a bacchus anyways yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe he never would have been there without the witch ba- yeah that's that's an interesting point although we see the river gods and stuff appear yeah, knights and dryads and dryads. doing their things What else do you guys want to say about this book? Anything? Not
2: really. No, I mean, you get even the things that like would bother me in other books, like the apple being more real than everything else in the other, our world, Mm -hmm. you get some of his weird Platonism, but still, I mean, you, and I I think maybe Lewis himself was maybe chilling out about some of his weirdness with this book. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how it'll play out with the last battle.
1: Not looking forward to it, but I wasn't looking forward to this one
2: either, and was surprised. no. Maybe I'll be surprised. That's what I'm yeah. hoping. I'm really hoping the last battle because pulls a bit of a, a the dark silver horse. Che- well, because arguably, even the weirdness wasn't necessarily there with the horse and his boy. It was just like a lame conceit, mm-hmm. right? That's I mean, that was Jake's point. A little
1: it's, more weirdness would have
2: yeah gone a long way. It was reason. it was yeah. a lame conceit yeah. about providence that didn't really pan out. Mm-hmm. It was like I'd rather just read the Pilgrim's Progress, right. Where at least Bunyan just, you know what's going on. Mm. And it's kind of fun. But here, in that book, it was just, che- it was cheesy. Mm. And, and But here, it's got some of that magic back. And I don't think he's really trying to make some. So in the w- weird parts of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and those where it gets strange at the end. That's because he's trying to do something. He's trying to give you his Lewisian Gnostic vision of heaven. Mm. And here he's he's not. This book
0: feels like a v- very chillaxed Lewis wrote this book. He's not straining for anything. He's just like, I know how to write Narnia now. I've This is my sixth yeah. one. I can write one of these.
2: He's hit some grand slams now. He's just he's just swinging.
0: He's just swinging. Yeah, he's not he's not trying anything. He got it out of his system with all the weirdness in the horse and his boy. Got to make fun of the Arabs.
2: Now he's just lighting his pipe and, and telling like, a good story. It's like Goldschmidt after he finally got that 30th home run of the year. Now he's just hitting them. He's just hitting them.
0: <laughs> Let's assign our, you know what? Actually, I'm going to make people wait. Let's, let's quickly call out our Patreons, yeah. our, our patrons real quick, and then let's assign our lamppost rating. So this is like, we're going to commercial here. If you want to be a patron that gets a donor shout out, which is what we're about to do. Yeah, we are. Then you go to patreon.com forward slash the bookening uh-huh. and you sign up for $10 or more a month. We will shout you out. If you can get us to $1,000 by October 31st, then Jake, Brandon, and myself will dress as swans. We will play trumpets and we will march around the courthouse in Bloomington seven times. We have said we would do this. <laughs> we have said we will do this. More importantly, we will unlock our donor level where we can read Tolkien next year, which is what we really want to do. We want to be making a thousand dollars by January two thousand twenty, uh, so that we can just weave unlock the next superpower, or whatever. It sounds like a video game. It really does. But we just want to weave Tolkien in uh, through next year. We want to talk the about tapestry the tapestry of Tolkien, the tapestry of Tolkien. We're going to write a little ebook called "The Tapestry of Tolkien." But let's shout out our donors. You know what? I'm just going to go back and forth, and you guys do whatever you feel like with there this. All Thanks. right. Thanks, Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Jake,
2: Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Nathan,
0: the Artful Anthony Dodger. Brandon,
2: the Artful Anthony Dodger. Nathan, Little Anthony's Cigar Store. You didn't say anything.
1: I was not paying attention to the what-
0: Little Anthony Cigar Store, Nathan. To what the conceit was. <laughs> the immortal Chelsea E. The immortal Chelsea E. <laughs> wow. I have no idea what the conceit is. There is no conceit. There is no, con- there is no conceit. There is no conceit. <laughs> uh, Jake. It's not like I would pay attention anyway. <laughs> it's not like I, I would do it. Yeah, I was going to say, what difference does it make? Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley, Jake. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie, you know what I was doing? What's that?
1: The publication order is not the same as the written order. And I was looking at the order in which these guys were written. Oh, let's hear it. And so, interesting fact. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian were all written in 1949. Don Treader and the Horse and His Boy were written in 1950. Hmm. Silver Chair was written in 51. Last Battle was written in 53, and The Magician's Nephew was written in 54. So this really
0: is him just chillaxing. That 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 it completely explains it. Yeah. This is
1: the last one that he
0: wrote. That makes so much sense.
1: And then he had them all. The Horse and the Boy was one of the earlier ones,
0: actually. Hmm, that also makes sense.
1: Um, so Silver Chair, Last Battle, and then Magician's Nephew, those are the last three that he wrote. Even if you think about the Platonism stuff that we get, we're going to get in the last battle. Mm-hmm. Like that's all out. He's he's done it all. He got it out yeah. of
0: his system, and then he wrote one of just the nicest, flowing, cool little Narnia books: Magician's yeah. Nephew.
1: And he he prepared. They were published. So Lion and Witch that was published in fifty. Caspian fifty one. Don Treader fifty two. That had been done for two years at that point. Silver Chair, 53, that had been done for two years. Horse <laughs> and His Boy, 54, it had been done for four years. Wow. It had been sitting on a shelf. Magician's Nephew was published in 55, and it had only been sitting around for a year. Mm-hmm. And then The Last Battle was published in 56, which had, and it had been finished for three years by that time.
0: Huh. So he finished The Magician's Nephew last, and maybe he didn't give himself a lot of time to tinker with it and... It's fun to speculate anyway. Oh, Brandon, while we're at it, I'm sorry, donors, we'll get back to you in a second. What planet? Actually, why don't you describe the qualities of the planet and we'll see if Jake can guess the planet based on the qualities. little game I like to play or like to watch Jake and Brandon play. called I bet that's right.
2: Genius. All right. Sweetness, warmth, beauty, laughter, motherliness, sexuality, fertility. Mm, Sounds like Pluto. Creativity.
1: Hey, you wanna make a connection that that it's
2: metal is copper.
1: That backs up Michael Ward? What's that? Paralandra is also Venus.
2: In the ransom trilogy, in Lewis the Ransom calls Sh- Venus Paralandra. Mm-hmm.
1: And it is the place we have the creation story in Paralandra. Yeah. As we do here, where we also have temptation scene where we have a devil surrogate tempting in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what that has to do with Venus, but we already made the connection of this
0: book to Venus.
1: So maybe yeah. I mean
0: maybe she's the most tempting of the goddesses. Uh, I mean she's well, a according to this picture mm, they have on of, here. A bit of a Ooh. Brandon for shame. She's a bit of an alluring figure. I don't know. You know who probably does know. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. I don't know why Lily of the Valley would know that. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds, Brandon.
2: Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds,
0: Nathan. The Keith Master, the Keith Master. David's Mighty Men trucking. Davis, Mighty Men Trucking, John and Jill, Little Baby Max, John and Jill, Little Baby Max, Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese, and also C.S. Lewis, including and till we Katie have faces. and Katie, who are cold and love
2: cheese, including C.S. Lewis, even even till we have faces. And also the Michael Ward book they like. which yeah, Also the Michael Ward book they like. Makes me
0: think maybe there's something which to it. Which makes me know.
2: think maybe there's something like to it. I don't Katie. know. I don't
0: Fairy don't Princess of Wonder
1: too. and Happiness Mother Beth. Fair Princess of Wonder and Happiness Mother Beth. Fair.
0: Fairy. Fairy. Council Fairy. Prime, Prime, and Adam. Also Prime Adam. Prime Adam, Galactic Princess Emily. Galactic Princess Emily. Jeremy, Jeremy the Dark-Coded dark Lord of Death and Prince Dark prince, prince Bear and the Princess Bug of Death, Doom, Die. What? Ha! Gotcha. Death, Doom, Die uh nathan not me
1: nathan not nathan maya! Maya!
0: here's looking at you maya ryan the red avenger and judith of the ladies of justice ryan the
1: red avenger and judith of the ladies of justice danny the dude danny the
0: dude <laughs> That's how it should be said from now on. DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Benny and
2: Danny Tiberius. Dana, I should say. Dana.
0: Eric and Catherine (laughs) from Yon Window Breaks. From Yon Window Breaks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Professor and Lady X. (laughs) Professor and Lady
0: X. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan. Go. Lavender's blue. Lavender's
2: green, Dylan, Dylan. I love you too. Oh, you're not so nice you
0: not at all the lyrics to that song, but somehow me and Brandon think that they are. I looked them up the other day. <laughs> it's not correct at all. <laughs> I, I wondered. <laughs> Noah Constrictor, our new the friend. Noah
1: Constrictor. Actually,
0: not our new friend. Our friend that we forgot to shout out for a couple of months. He got lost in the shuffle somehow. merchip Jeep cheap, cheap. <laughs> cheep. Cheap, 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 cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she likes that. She paid for a Lewis thing. I don't know. Mary cheap. Well, I like it. I think it's cool. Natalie with the battery of Kung Fu Mastery. Natalie with the battery of Kung Fu Mastery. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. Fair and fragrant. The fair and fragrant Did not I say that? You said yes. fair and fragrant did no, you he said fair and fair all right six pack zach with a mean attack six pack zach with the mean attack and i've got a couple new patrons what guys. yeah two of them so we've got anthony welcome anthony. anthony 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 we love you you anthony have specified that you are in fact from wisconsin i don't know whether you're a friend of jay and katie's maybe i don't know how big a wisconsin is
2: but (laughs) it's not that big geography not they all kind together because the cold is everywhere else you have to huddle together they have
0: to huddle together but you know what he specified what and this is the weirdest thing i think i've ever heard about a human being Uh uh-huh he does not like cheese oh he wanted it known that anthony is from wisconsin like jay and katie and yet and so he's presumably cold but he does not like cheese so Anthony, who is cold but does not like cheese. Anthony, I think I'm going to call him because I don't understand how someone can not like cheese. That's yeah. like saying I hate breathing, or I hate babies, or I hate yeah flowers, I'd, or I'd put all those on the same level as cheese. Cheese, yeah, it's just like uh, I hate my skin, you know. I, yeah, uh, cheese is one I of hate the life, happiness. So why don't we say Anthony, who is cold and hates life, happiness, and cheese.
2: Anthony, who is cold.
1: Anthony, is ho- cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. I love it. Anthony, <laughs> who's cold
0: and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit. Of- <laughs> Thank you for giving Anthony <laughs> and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. And then we've got our other new do- donor. Say hello to Jeffrey. Jeffrey.
1: Jeffrey. Hey, hey.
0: Jeffrey. We love you. Now. Let me, let's me let think about the kind of categories of things that Jeffrey might be here for a second. We've done a lot of fantasy kind of names, so I want to stay away from wizards. And what's another cool category of person that Jeffrey probably resembles?
1: Superheroes. Superheroes. Chuck Norris.
0: Chuck Norris. So he could be... Ninjas. Oh, ninjas, yeah. Ninja Jet... Texas nunchuck, Rangers. Nunch- <laughs> nunchuck Ninja Jeffrey the Texas Ranger? Yeah, there
1: we go. <laughs> Can, can we get like some ninja-related thing, like Jujitsu jitsu Jeffrey? Or...
0: Oh, Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey. I love it. Uh, Ju, Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey. The Texas Ranger. The Texas Ranger, Ranger yes. <laughs> I love it. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. All right. Let's welcome Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Nice. Jiu-Jitsu, nice. Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey. The
2: eyes of the Jeffrey are upon you.
0: <laughs> That's right. <rad>. And guys, <laughs> having gotten through donor shout-outs, let us know. Enter into the lamppost rankings. Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Did quick, quick recap here. Very quick. Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Jake gave it six. Nathan gave it five. Brandon gave it six for a final ranking, bookening ranking of 5.6 repeating. Uh-huh. Prince Caspian. Nathan gave it 5.5. 5. Brandon gave it five. Jake gave it five for a final bookening ranking of 5.16 repeating. Uh-huh. VOTDT. Nathan six. Brandon gave it five initially, but then he switched it to six. So Decided that lamb didn't offend him so much. Because I am... Fickle. Fickle the, and changing. Fickle Brandon, we call you. And Jake and ga- gave it yeah. six. Final ranking, six. So that is actually the highest ranking one that I've read so far, but it was immediately superseded by the silver chair, which Nathan gave seven. Brandon gave 6.5 and Jake gave 5.5 5 for a final bookening ranking of 6.25. The horse and his boy did not fare as well, I'm no, afraid, it but it didn't. still wasn't terrible. Nathan gave it five. Brandon gave it four. Old grump grumpy face brandon <laughs> that's what they call me <laughs> they call Fickle you a lot grumpy of things. face. pickle grumpy face <laughs> who is also Gruttetic. changeable yeah. <laughs> and therefore repetitive yeah pickle, <laughs> pickle repetitive grumpy face brandon <laughs> that'd be your donor name uh and jake gave it i fought. see now i get it <laughs> <laughs> now we love you brandon uh jake it five for a final booketing ranking the lowest of the rankings i'm afraid at 4.6 repeating the book it deserves
2: gets- those six, six, sixes.
0: That, well, Brandon, you said it. I didn't. Magician's Nephew, which one
2: of you wants to go first, and what does he want to give it? You know what, Nathan?
0: Yes, Brandon. No, I don't. You're going to have to
2: tell me. The silver chair was good, mm-hmm. but the Magician's Nephew was better. Mm-hmm. Seven lampposts. Seven what? lampposts.
0: Are you kidding me? <laughs> So you're saying this is a flawless no six and
2: three quarter lamp post. I'm going to tear one of those little limbs off of it. Six point seven five. Plant it in the ground. See what
0: happens. Six point seven five lamp post. Still that is
2: one of the arms of the sixth lamp post planted beside it in honor of its almost perfection. But that's a reminder that that last part is weird.
0: Mm, Planted beside it. Okay. Sounds good. So, Brandon gave it 6.75 lampposts with one arm of another lamppost planted beside it. Jake, how many lampposts do you want to give this one? I awarded
1: a six to Don Treader and to uh, Lion and Witch. Correct. Five and a half to Caspian and to Silver Chair. And uh, f-
0: Caspian, you just gave a straight five. Uh, you have not dealt in any... Um, halves. halves or percentages. What did I give silver chair? Silver chair you gave, a, actually yes, I'm sorry, you have dealt in a percentage, you need <laughs> do 5.5 for silver
1: chair. Yeah. I'm going to give uh, Magician's Nephew a 5.75.
0: 5. 5.75. What's A full it? point lower than me. What's holding it back for you?
1: I just, I'm just. i not going to give anything a seven. It's going to be my highest ranking. and He's a hard th- grader. He th- just falls short of uh, Don Treader and and Lion Witch <laughs> in the Wardrobe.
2: Would Charlotte's Web get a seven?
1: Uh, it wouldn't be on the Lampo
0: system now, would it?
2: Would it get seven spider webs? Yes. Okay. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> I
0: feel good about life with that. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and just give it, I think, a solid six. I think this is a very good Narnia book, one of the best. It is not as good as the Silver Chair, which is definitely my favorite. The Silver Chair has an, an awesome. Third act. This one's third act gets a little wonky, but those first two acts are strong, man. I like those a lot.
1: I find this more fun to read than Silver Chair. So
0: yeah. That's, I think, why, I ranked I that's it higher. why I ranked it higher.
2: I
1: would have ranked it the same, but then I <coughs> had a moment of wait,
0: what would I be more interested to go back and read? Yeah.
2: This one.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, guys, you'll be interested to know that the final booking ranking, giving given Nathan giving it a six, Brandon giving it a six point seven five, with one arm of a lamppost planted beside it, and Jake giving it a five point seven five. Is 6.16 repeating. So
2: still not the highest. What's the highest?
0: I think silver chair still has it beat. Let me double check. Ah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, silver chair has a 6.25, so <laughs> six and a quarter. So the silver chair, unless the last battle pulls a it won't. crazy silver upset. Silver chair is our winner. Silver chair is going to be our winner.
2: Congratulations, silver chair. You deserved it.
0: Brennan, the... The
1: the fat lady has not yet the sung. The fat lady hasn't sung. The orangutan. He's coming. Has, has not yet put on a donkey suit or Maybe
2: something. I'm, we'll, the dwarfs haven't sat guys, in the shed. Yeah. As far as you guys know, I may be converted to universalism next week.
0: Brennan, if you do that, then you can give like nine lampposts to, you won't believe in truth anyway, so yeah. you can just give like 20 lampposts and totally throw off our system. Uh, it is unlikely that, The last battle will pull an upset. But you never know. Maybe it'll pull an upset. You never know. Mm, I'm pretty sure it won't. (laughs) I kind (laughs) of (laughs) know. I don't remember hating the last battle nearly as much as you guys say it. So right now it's Silver Chair. Then. Uh, That's interesting. Right now it would be Silver Chair, followed by Magician's Nephew, followed by Don Treader, followed by Lion the Witch. Lion the Witch followed by Caspian. Caspian, followed by Boy. I, mean, I, I think I think that's... Jake might quibble about the silver chair, but being so high. But otherwise, I think we could probably all agree that's a decently accurate... Well,
1: actually, my only quibble is the fact that as a kid, I kind of hated the magician's nephew. And these are our rankings for them now. And I don't know that they are... Well, I just know that they're not any reflection of what any normal kid would say. We're the same thing... With the horse and his boy. I, Any re- normal kid reading these is going to have a very different ranking.
0: I'd agree with that. except I'm for that, okay with that. I feel like, I, I agree with that sen- sentiment, but I feel like a lot of, most of the kids I knew, including myself, really liked The Magician's Nephew. I think you might have been a slightly odd.
1: Actually, you're the only kid person that I've ever talked to that's... Oh, really? Do your kids not like Magician's Nephew? Well, I don't know what they've... Read or not read? I've only ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to them. I haven't I talked think. to any
0: modern kids, but I seem to remember no. When just I was like a kid. the
1: people that I talk to when they talk about books they liked as a kid, nobody ever brings up the Magician's Nephew. It's like the forgotten book that nobody really, really seems to care about. I mean, the, the, people my, talk about the Silver Chair. People talk about the Horse and His Boy. So we're just I feel weird, I know weird. I'm the odd one with the Don Treader. Not a lot of people. Love that one as much Love as Love that you. one yeah, as a kid as much that. as I did. I'm aware of that. But hmm. The Magician's Nephew has only ever come up as a top-ranked book you know, from this series from our childhood. To my mind, the only person I've ever heard say that's you. Interesting. So maybe, maybe our listeners have had different experiences as kids. Pretty sure. I'd, I'd be said, interested. in want to correct yeah. me? You said You've what? You
2: said that? Didn't I say I thought The Magician's Nephew would be high up there for me because I liked it? You said it would
0: be one of your favorites. But yeah. I didn't read it as a child either, so right. I can't say that. I. I would have said anecdotally in my mind that Silver or no that um, Magician's nephew and Horse and his boy were, yes. were everybody's favorites because I can't enter this conversation.
2: Didn't read these as a child, right?
0: But in any case, I don't know. Listeners weigh in. This would be a good thing for you to weigh in on. What did What did you guys uh,
1: uh, anecdotally? I have thought that. My love for the Don Treader and your love for the
0: Magician's nephew are both anomalies. Both anomalies. Well, maybe that's true. I, I never thought that that was the case, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear what people think on that one. So we're just a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, hit us up on podcast. Twitter or uh, the Sanityville forum or wherever you want to talk to us. Send us an email and tell us what your experience is. I'd be interested to hear that from people. Bookening today was written by us all, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Go to patreon.com forward slash thebookening. You heard what good things will happen if you do. Other good things that will happen, we'll be able to make payroll. Warhorn Media will continue producing fine podcasts among them. The Bookening, Jake's children will eat food. My wife will eat food. Jake's wife might even eat some food paid for with some of the money that you give to Patreon. Go there today, patreon.com forward slash the booking. Sign up for as little as a coffee of cup a month. That's like the third time in a row I've done that.
1: A cup of coffee. A
0: cup of coffee a month. It's five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you can give. We know there are some lurkers out there that really want to give but just haven't gotten around to it. Now would be a good time to
2: lurkers gonna lurk.
0: Help us out. Lookers, the are gonna, lookers are going to become
2: friends. Come out of the shadows.
0: Man. Actually, if you want to get a, if you want to give us a little boost in the arm, which we could use right now, and get some cool stuff, you can go to warhornmedia.com forward slash give. Make a one-time donation of any amount to Warhorn Media, and what will you get, Jake, for the month of October?
1: For the entire month of October, right up to the very end, we are giving all one-time. Uh, givers in the month of October. Have I said the month of October yet? Have I mentioned that it's in the month of October? What
0: month do you think it's
1: in,
2: Brandon? Uh, November? Are you dumb? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. It's a very possible name. It okay. Is late. So, <laughs> Are you deaf? So,
1: <laughs> if you give any one time gift right. in any amount, doesn't right. matter how small or how big, in the month of October, we're giving you two free gifts. The first of those gifts is Tim Bailey's latest book, Church Reformed. And Every possible downloadable variation. Get yes, your EPUB. You. E- EPUB, Mobi, PDF, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're giving it all to you. The other thing we're giving you is the latest album from My Soul Among Lions. My Soul Among Lions, a collective of musicians, singers, songwriters, including the three of us in this room mm-hmm. as lyricists, working to set all 150 psalms to music. This latest album that's out sets... Psalms twenty one through thirty to music. It's volume three in the project. It's called Song of the King. It's got some really great songs on it. It does indeed. And songs that at least Nathan and I have contributed
0: to. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But 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 Brandon's been there since the very beginning of the project as well. And my song Alliance is awesome. Check it out. And definitely make a donation at warhornmedia.com forward slash give. Could really use your help this month. Do
2: it.